Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the fifth episode of Tech Talks. Thank, Thank you, you for coming, coming to our Tech, Tech Talk. Talk. Today, we'll be interviewing Academy alum Claire Pokopak. Claire has taken her stage management knowledge to work in the indoor drone show industry in Europe. Some of her credits include concerts with Drake and Celine Dion. Hi, Claire, and welcome to the podcast. We are super excited to be talking with you today. Hi, guys. I'm uh, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, a little bit about me. I graduated from the Academy in 2013, and then I went to school at Muhlenberg, um, <laughs> which is a very small school, but it's uh, it's pretty close to New York and Philadelphia and everything. So we got to have some fun experiences there. And yeah, then afterwards I moved to Europe and I've been working for the last five years in a company called Verity. Um, and we are the world leader in indoor drone systems, both for stage shows. And now we have a second vertical that does uh, warehouse automation and logistics as well. And uh, I primarily specialize in the live event stuff. Um, that is my, uh, that's my passion. And uh, so it's what I really like to do and what I've been doing for most of the last five years. Um, and I've gotten to do some really cool events that I hopefully might get to talk a little bit with about you guys today. Um, and yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Awesome. Um, I kind of want to like backtrack to your college days for this very first question. Um, yeah. I cannot pronounce the name of that school to save my life. Muhlenberg? Muhlenberg? Muhlenberg, yeah. It's, Muhlenberg. Uh, it's, it's German. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, well, my very first question is, what was the hardest thing that you had to learn in college, and how well did that translate into your real-world job? I know that you went there for stage management. Yes. So I just I want to know like how like the stage management aspect translates into... Uh, you working with the drones today. Okay. So I'm not sure that specifically kind of the hardest thing that I had to learn in college, you know, directly translated to what I do in the world. Um, Because I would say that I think, well, definitely the hardest class that I took um, was not a theater department class. Um, it still is fun and I learned a lot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a theater department class. It was a, it was a genetics class. Um, cause genetics was my best, uh, was my best, uh, unit in biology in high school. So I was like, oh, you know, for my science gen eds, um, I'll just go and, you know, take, uh, take genetics, which was a, a class for, um, for bio majors. And <laughs> Um, I mean, I passed in everything, uh, but it was, uh, it was a little bit of a, of a rude awakening my, my freshman year that, you know, we're, we're not in high school anymore. Um, and so I was a little bit more selective going on down the road, um, with some, with some other classes that I, that I took later on. With regards to my major, um, the hardest thing that I had to learn, um, I think was the way that college professors want you to write. Uh, I think I had a lot of freedom in high school with kind of, you know, being able to write about 
you know, specific things that I wanted or, you know, and then when I got to, when I got to college, you know, they wanted you to focus on like this one very specific detail from, you know, the show that you saw, um, (laughs) or something like that. And it took me, it took me a little while to learn how to write within those very specific, uh, parameters but that is something i think translates a lot more to to the working world where you maybe have to be not you know writing a paper on something um but you have to you have to focus on very small details that are important to someone else even if they're not the most important thing to you as someone who's currently taking an ap literature course i feel that yeah. <laughs> the no longer getting to pick what you write about. <laughs> kind of continuing on on what you learned in life, was there any big learning curve you got starting to work in the indoor drone show industry? Um, it was a big learning curve to start working with engineers uh, rather than kind of like stage technicians. Um because uh, they're they just really both have very wide and amazing skill sets, but they work very, very, very differently. Um, and so uh, it was it was a big learning curve to yeah be able to get the things I needed uh, from these people who are brilliant, you know, PhD engineers. They speak many languages, everything, but connecting with them about what is upstage and downstage and stage left and stage right um, actually took a really long time. And in our software for almost a year, um, the everything was backwards because uh, people just didn't understand why they needed to put, you know, stage left and stage right on the other side um, when we're looking at the stage from a bird's eye view. <laughs> so it was... Uh, um, yeah, that was that was a really interesting uh, learning curve for me. But now uh, I think it has actually helped my life outside of work as well. Because I, when I kind of approach new new things, or when I approach things with my proposed solution, I come with six data points and a graph um, because that's what I have to, uh, uh, that's how I have to approach things at at work because nobody will, nobody will listen unless I can show, you know, that the data supports what I want to do. I'm really intrigued about like all the engineers that you work with. I didn't think that like, you know, I thought it was going to be more like theater techs and every, and everything like that. I didn't expect there to be engineers. (laughs) Yeah, we have, we, we have a lot of them. Um, we have, uh, actually 28 different nationalities as well that work at my, that work at my company, um, and kind of is, uh, is their universal language, uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was an interesting interview process as well, because I felt like I needed to clarify at every step, like, you know, remember, I don't know how to code. I don't, I don't do code. I won't be able to write code. Um, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And it was the learning curve as well for them because they started, you know, giving me, giving me paperwork um, that's kind of required a little bit of coding knowledge uh, to be able to use. Um, And I was, you know, basically typing, typing their commands in verbatim and they wanted me to be replacing things with, uh, you know, with 
other with other things that I was supposed to inherently know. Um, and I, uh, and, and, and I didn't know. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know if you really wanted to know more generally about the engineers or if you had a specific question about, uh, um, about them, but, uh, yeah, now that I've kind of gotten over that learning curve, they're, they're really fun to, uh, fun to work with. Uh, and they always come with very fun, uh, fun questions about, well, why do you call it that in theater? And why is it that way? Um, and so, yeah, when we finally, or when they finally admitted they were having trouble with upstage and downstage, and I explained, you know, both stages used to be raked, they were like, oh, well, that makes sense. Why didn't you tell us from the beginning? It's like, because you said you were good. You just didn't you didn't say you were having trouble. Like, uh, uh, so they, they, yeah, I, I wasn't going to mansplain to them if they didn't want it. Yeah. <laughs> you see, that's such a real world skill and experience though that I'm learning. Cause like my dad, he works with the AAU. So he works with people all the time. He's a diving coach, but he works with random things like building Olympic pools. And he's learned over the years, you have to be able to figure out how to communicate with people who are completely different levels than you and doing things like asking for help if you don't get what's being talked about. Yeah, yeah. That's what I hold engineers very close to my heart. I recently changed um, my job going into the military from being a dog handler to being a combat engineer, so huge leaps. Um, I've got to meet with a few of them, and I understand what you mean about, like, they don't want to be mansplained to, but also, like, you kind of have to. So I, I totally get that. <laughs> the amount of uh, the amount of them that are just like, oh no, I know what that is. Oh no, I know how to do that. And then five minutes later, they're like, what is this? How do I do this? I'm like, bro, I could have just told you. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting back onto the questions. Um, the next question that I had that I kind of got sidetracked from was, uh, what got you interested in working with the drones? Like originally, because like going from stage management to drones is quite the leap. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, um, actually, they recruited me kind of to an extent. Um, they uh, they invited me to to apply. Um, it was important for them to have someone with this, uh, you know degree. Um, and there's a lot of brilliant people in the tech theater industry that have just been doing this for 30, 40 years. And they know so much more than me. Um, they're amazing. I don't want to belittle them, uh, belittle them at all. Um, but, uh, the, to be able to get the visa, um, they needed, uh, someone with this, uh, with this specific degree, um, which, uh, was a big part of the, part of the reason that I, that I ended up working there, um, instead of someone which maybe was a little bit more qualified, but, uh, but didn't have that degree, um, because kind of, the only theater degree you can really get in Switzerland and most of the greater EU is like, you know, an acting or an artistic degree. Um, it's not something that's really offered at the higher education level. Um, you know, anything backstage right now, um, in the UK you can, um, but that's kind of the, that's, that's kind of the closest one. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and then they actually also didn't know a lot about exactly what stage management was. They had interacted with stage managers, um, 
because their their first show, actually, the first show that Verity ever did was uh, was Paramore on Broadway. Um, so they just jumped really, um, right into the right into the right into the fire. Um, so they they kind of knew, you know, what what stage managers did. Um, but it's uh, you know they were like, you're going to be a, a project manager, and it's you know kind of the same thing. I'm like, yeah, it's it's. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff, uh, which also kind of could be considered company management. If I was in a strict theater company, I mean, uh, like I also manage our travel. I manage our budgets. I, uh, yeah, kind of, uh, you know, do stuff that's, you know, not strictly something uh something a stage manager would do uh but i think that that's also something very transferable uh my roommate in college she was also um graduated with her uh, same program as me stage management uh she now is the company manager for the public uh theater in new york um and so uh yeah she kind of translated it in a similar way um and so i think at, at least my program in stage management really prepared me well for having to do things outside of you know strictly like you know being on rehearsal book and stuff like that mm-hmm. well i mean isn't that the true essence of a stage manager a multitasker jack of all trades can jump in anywhere for anything yeah if it needs done stage manager go do it that's pretty much it. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. I've done some. Uh, I've I've done some really interesting, uh, really interesting things. Uh, one time we had a uh, we had a voice actor uh, quit in the middle of a uh, show we were doing in Abu Dhabi, um, and the whole premise of this show was that there were no humans in the show. It was robots only. Um, so they had other, they had other robots on the stage, um, behind, uh, not behind, but with the, with the dress. Um, and so it was, but it was just humans kind of voicing them, uh, voicing them backstage. Um, and since it was in Abu Dhabi, there were not very many women around working on, uh, this project as well, which is, uh, which is actually slowly changing in the Middle East. Um, so that's a, that's a cool thing, but it's still, uh, um, there weren't very many. And so the, the production manager was like, oh, you know, can Claire please just like say this script for the robot? Like we don't have anyone else. Um, and uh so yeah in addition to being the drone project manager on that uh on that project i uh voice acted the robot what kind of conferences sorry sabrina cut you off go ahead (laughs) i was just gonna say that's really cool and move us on to our next question because i want to learn a little bit more about your job per se so in the bio that ben sent us you mentioned something about a sensory friendly drone show can you explain that yeah, so um, something that I that I was able to study in college as well is accessibility um, and trying to make live performance and live events and live entertainment more accessible to everyone. Um, so things that I learned in my accessibility classes, I can sell a ticket in sign language. Um, we learned about breaking down barriers. I learned how to do audio description uh, for people who are blind or have low vision. And I learned how to do sensory-friendly performances, um, which in general, a sensory-friendly performance is something that 
will hopefully, I mean, everyone, <laughs> everyone is different, uh, will be accessible for people who might not be able to access normal theater or live events uh, because it's somehow either too triggering for them um, or they're afraid that they might uh, interrupt people around them. Um, so what we did was we partnered with Autocon in Zurich and the idea of an indoor drone show in general is a spectacle. Like the music is very loud. There's bright lights. They're flashing. They're flying at you. Like it's uh, it's <laughs> the the idea is you know that it's that it's not toned down. Very um, cool, but very so not. I susceptible for people on the spectrum and stuff like that. Exactly. So um, what I did was I, I sat down with our choreography engineers um, and said like, okay, you know, let's look at this uh, show that we have kind of like a demo show that we, that we do in our office and let's look at all the parts and figure out piece by piece how we can, you know, tone it down and, and make it accessible. Um, so we did that in that we turned down lighting intensity, we stopped flashing, um, we removed figures that were kind of, you know, flying directly at you. Um, and, you know, while trying to keep the artistic integrity of the show. So we basically kind of reprogrammed all that. We took down the intensity of the music. We had our house lights on a little bit so that you could see the, uh, you know, where the drones were, even when they didn't have their lights on. Um, so you could still kind of feel, you know, what was going on in the in the rest of the room. Um, we had routes that people could take to leave if they did feel overwhelmed. And then we had, you know, destimulation areas um, that were quiet. They had they had fidgets and people, you know, were able to go there immediately if they needed to. Um, and before the show, we had a very clear uh, presentation about exactly what was going to happen during the show. You know, one drone is going to take off and it's going to be green and it's going to do this. Um, and then another two drones are going to take off and they're going to be yellow and they're going to, and they're going to do this. Um, so that everybody was, you know, as prepared as they, as they could be for what they were, for what they were going to experience. Um, and so, yeah, and then we, and then we did the show. We didn't have anybody who did need to use the destimulation rooms. Everybody made it all the way to the end and everybody was really excited about it. So it's hopefully something that we're gonna, <laughs> that we're gonna continue doing, um, because it was, a it, it was a really awesome thing that, uh, uh, in my opinion, <laughs> that we, that we did. Um, that so, is yeah, that was such an incredible project that you do. I'm very lucky to get to work with the kind of people that would go see these shows in theater. So I always applaud other places for trying to make shows that are more friendly and susceptible to those people. I think it's just an amazing thing that like that even exists because like there's so many places that are inaccessible to you know, people who need things like that, who need things toned down. 
um, to prevent like overstimulation and stuff like that. And the fact that you guys made the effort to do that is just absolutely amazing. And I can't even think of like how many people are probably like applauding you and being like, thank you so much for this experience. This is amazing. Like, I think that's just an amazing thing to give people that opportunity to see shows like that. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was a really cool a really cool experience, and I think uh, it's it's something that I really would like to you know take take further because this this one we did you know within within our office, so I really would like to do it you know on site somewhere you know outside of <laughs> outside of Switzerland, kind of move it around because I know that uh, I mean sensory friendly shows are also something that I think is primarily started in in the US um so i would like to you know maybe do that a little bit more around europe and everything um so fingers crossed that it uh, <laughs> that it that it does take off oh yeah i think that would be beneficial to so many people if it did take off so my next question is kind of one that like i'm excited to hear about um, technology is not perfect. It definitely has its mishaps. So I would like to know what's the funniest accident that has ever happened with one of you guys' drones? So what I like to say about the drones is that robots are a gift and a curse in that the drone will always hit its spike. That's a gift, right? It's always going to hit its spike. You never have to worry about it. Didn't find the light, whatever. Um, however, the drone will always hit its spike. If the actor doesn't hit the spike, it doesn't matter. The drone is the drone is still going to is still going to hit the spike. So if the actor has their hand out ready to catch it in the wrong place, the drone doesn't care. The drone can't adapt adapt to that and come over to wherever they are. It's going to attempt to land where their hands are supposed to be. Um, so, um, you know, it's always, uh, it's always fun to be like, well, yes, like you have to be, you have to be perfectly on spike because, you know, otherwise it's just gonna, it's just gonna attempt to land and it's going to look really weird because your hands are, you know, one foot over here and the drone has, has, you know, just landed, uh, just landed to your side. Um, so luckily that kind of stuff, you know, happens in rehearsal. Um, so, um, yeah, I would say, um, yeah, there, there aren't really very many funny accidents because we have so many safety, uh, precautions that, you know, we've, we haven't ever had a safety incident where, uh, you know, a drone would be, would be unsafe to, to a human. Um, uh, we've, you know, definitely there have been some times where, you know, we've, uh, accidentally broken a drone because we misprogrammed something and we flew him where he wasn't supposed to be flying. Um, so that when you look back on it later can be, can be very funny, but in the moment it's like, what, what's going on? Oh my God, I uh, broke a drone. <laughs> and luckily, luckily the, the live events drones, they were designed to be quite modular. Um, so 
you can break the guard and the guard can be replaced in 30 seconds with three screws. Um, you can break the battery, you can break a motor, a motor can be replaced in a minute with one screw. Um, there, so unless you completely, you know, crush or fry your entire motherboard, you haven't, you know, completely broken a drone. Um, so, uh, uh, so yeah, that's the, that's the nice thing about it. Um, I can imagine it's still like a little bit terrifying. Like it like flies into a wall or something and a piece falls off of it. Like that must be terrifying to people who this is like their first time working with drones. They're like, oh my God, I broke a drone. I'm not getting paid. <laughs> well, we don't frequently actually fly them into walls. Um, <laughs> like, um, so normally, normally the safety distances, uh, the safety distances are enough that, you know, by the time they enter kind of the, the zone where we don't want them to be, they haven't, they haven't hit a wall yet. And mm -hmm. we're able to say, okay, you're going to make a safety landing because you're, you're not where you're supposed to be, but you're not, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't actually think of a scenario where we've flown into a wall and you know, like pieces have gone flying. Yeah, um, that's uh, um, that. Yeah, that that might be that that might be a little scary. Yeah, um, they would have to uh, hit the wall pretty hard for like pieces to go flying. Like if they're that like durable, that'd be a little <laughs> hard to break. Them. Uh, I mean. Yeah, they would they would have to be going pretty fast because they only weigh one point eight ounces. Um, so since they're since they're so light, they would have to be going really, really fast to, you know, splinter when they hit the wall. Um and at the speed that they normally go, if they were to hit a wall, they would kind of just, you know, boom, boom. <laughs> it's uh it's a little bit melodramatic, actually. Bird in the window situation. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 interesting because they uh, they 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 can sometimes have you know a little bit of personality. So on each site, you learn you know like which drone ID are the the ones that are you know behaving well and which ones are behaving a little you know a, a little less well. So then you kind of have your favorites, you know, the good ones, and then um, the ones that need to be that need to be watched a little bit more. Um, I have cried before when I accidentally crashed a drone and it was, and it was my fault. Um, and he was broken and I did cry a little bit, um, cause I felt really bad, but it's okay. He got fixed. I don't love the fact that they're like kind of sentient. I think Angie's thrown <laughs> off by the gendering of the Drone? Not necessarily the gendering. It's the fact they have personalities. Everything has a personality. The lights have personalities. It's the a doors. computer, Sabrina. Angie, when you work tech for a show, have you ever had like a prop where you don't like it because it keeps breaking? And so then you consider it like a bad prop or yeah. a prop you don't like working with? Yeah, but also that prop is probably plastic and it can't overthrow the human race or government or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Well, neither neither can neither can drones. I mean, they they need to be calibrated every certain number of flights, or they or they don't work. So even if they did, you know, attempt a robot uprising, they would have about ten flights, and then they would be like, "Well, I can't go again until somebody calibrates me," and they need a human for that. Um, so it would it would be short lived. Uh. <laughs> just a little, just a little spook, just a little taste of what's coming. 
Yeah, but I mean, I I always refer to them uh, kind of in the in the person mm-hmm. um, for a reason because uh, a lot of times when we you know sell or lease systems, it's not us who ends up taking care of the drones. It's the show's run crew, um, you know, that ends up in the day to day maintenance of the of the drones, the day to day flight, everything like that. Um, and I have found that when you are referring to them, uh, you know, as a, as a person, uh, generally they're taken better care of. Um, and, uh, and people, people care about them a little more and then, uh, you know, and then they're, they're taken better care of. And so we don't get as many, you know, support calls of I broke a drone or something like that. Um, so there, there, there is a reason behind, uh, behind why I do that. And it's, uh, and people are more eager to fix things, you know, when I say like, oh, you know, the reason he's not working is because he can't talk to his friends who are, you know, the localization system. Um, and so, and so he doesn't want to fly because nobody is, nobody is telling him where to go, uh, versus, you know, if I were to say like, oh, the drone is missing localization data, we'll have to fix that before anything else happens. Like somebody's like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's something, something I found, but then sometimes you also get support inquiries that are like, I have two drones that are very sick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay what are the symptoms (laughs) the difference between a little personification and a lot of personification is there like a drone hospital somewhere a drone what sorry a drone hospital (laughs) uh i mean i guess you could say you could say our office like uh, if they're if they're so broken that they can't be repaired on site they get sent back to us um and uh we can we can repair a lot of things we have a whole basically big big workshop in our office where we have made a lot of different sized drones and uh um yeah for the most part uh they can they can always get repaired there okay so one more question we want to ask is what is the difference between indoor and outdoor drone shows um so my boss would say that uh indoor drone shows are more difficult um and that's why and that's why we do them um but the uh the kind of biggest big two are the size of the space and uh ability of your or your how you use your localization system uh so for outdoor drone shows you have miles and miles of sky and you can put just a crazy number of vehicles and uh you know you can make these huge formations and if it takes up miles you're fine and indoors you have a lot less space so your drones are a lot closer together um uh, frequently the size of your formations is limited by the size of the building um so if someone's like i want this really intricate logo uh it you know is sometimes harder for us to do it's like well really there's not the space to be able to to be able to do that if you think about you know how big these logo figures are outside um so yeah space is space is always is always an issue between indoor and outdoor um but also outdoor drone shows can use gps um so you don't have to have any kind of other 
localization system for the drones to use because they can just use the satellites that are already in space. Um, whereas indoors, you have to set up a some way to localize the drones uh, effectively um, that's not using GPS. Uh, so, so indoors, there's different companies use a, use a couple of different types of of systems um and yeah so that's kind of uh, it's kind of where you get different di different competitors doing doing different types of things um but yeah it's a little it's a little more complicated to be able to set up that that whole system indoors rather than just use the the GPS satellites Okay, so I want to make a little switch and jump back to when you were in Academy to learn a little bit of time there. Uh, the yeah. first big question is, what led you to join Academy in the first place? To be 100% honest, the recruitment video uh, that they showed us at, uh, at like, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the day was called, but we all went to... I think Mayfield School, and uh, and you know you got to like see all the different programs and uh, actually going like the morning of that day the academy was my second choice and then, and then like they showed us that recruitment video and I'm like oh man like this is like the coolest place to uh, to be so I was like okay you know now this is gonna be my first choice and then I went home and I told my parents that like I had switched uh, I had switched what I what I wanted to do kind of um and I guess the parent one was later that night um and so but I was like but yeah like you gotta watch this video uh like it'll it, it'll change your mind too <laughs> and so then like when my parents got home I was like yeah but did they show you the video um and uh um so yeah I think I think my class was the first class that uh that got shown that video I don't know uh maybe 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 Ben can say if they're still using it like the one with the um it like had Sean in his car and uh and is set to that um the song about like kings and queens. Um yeah, if it's uh <laughs> if it's not uh if it's if it's not being used anymore, you should ask Ben to maybe show you this really old uh recruitment video. Um since we're on the topic of being a little goofy. I'm going to ask the million-dollar question that everybody loves so much. If you could change 100% of the Earth's grass into something, what would it be? Mac and cheese tulips. Mac and cheese tulips and hair were our most popular. I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm going to have to go with a, with a logical answer, you know, like something like, like rice. You know, that could, that, that, that could at the very least then, you know, end, end world hunger. You know, hopefully, if we if if all the grass became rice, mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't know how much grass versus how much world hunger there is off the top <laughs> of my head, um, but that seems like uh, that seems that seems like a good a, a good answer. I mean, if I was going to do a fun one, I guess I would do like uh, gummy bears or something, um, but uh, but probably probably rice is you know the the responsible answer because. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm 27 now, so got to really, yeah. <laughs> we love like a good, responsible answer. But also, gummy bears. Like, rice can solve world hunger, but gummy bears can do the same thing. They're both edible. 
but I could have another Yeah, and I mean, all the gummy bears in my house, to be honest, right now are like gummy bear vitamins. So that's kind of responsible. To keep moving and keep it on a lighter side, what was your favorite mishap? Something silly that went wrong while you were here at Academy? We had a lot of uh, a, lo- a lot of crazy times. Um, we did this show once um, called Souls of the Village, which was like in partnership with the Chagrin Historical Society and stuff. Um, and I just remember, like, I don't think we got through a single rehearsal like without something weird happening on that uh on 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 that show did you have ghosts doing it or was it the people i mean i yeah like like maybe um my my first show with the academy was uh was uh when we did sweeney todd uh that was a really cool one uh really cool one though and we also did uh we did a midnight show um uh on on Halloween of Sweeney Todd, uh, which is really fun. Um, but during that, the 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 hazers kept triggering the smoke alarms and we had to evacuate the whole theater into the parking lot at some point. Um I don't know if Ben remembers this. <laughs> he is nodding. Um, I think he does, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so the the girl who played uh, the girl who played Mrs. Lovett, like uh um, I can't remember if we were in act one or act two. I think it was act two because there's more smoke in act two. Um, you know, like some people had like given up and they were like getting in their cars and leaving. And she was like trying to chase down the cars, like in her costume. I'm like, no, don't leave. Um, this is part of the show. <laughs> I mean, the um, Sweeney Todd, that fits. Um, yeah, that was a, that, that was a really fun, um, a really fun show, but, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the smoke detectors, I think they went off like once or twice during rehearsal and we thought we had fixed that. And then, uh, yeah, during the show, um, we did have to evacuate the, evacuate the whole theater. So I'm going to call that my, my most fun mishap. Um, my next question is what was the biggest culture shock coming from America to Switzerland? I see this all over TikTok, but like, I've never gotten to talk to someone Who's actually moved to Europe? There's a there's a lot of them. Um, I would say uh, how much Europeans dislike Americans. Um, that was that that it, it was really you know one of the one of the worst things for me uh, for me moving. I you know called home multiple times. It was like everybody hates me here. I want to come home. Um, like uh, so. So yeah, I would say uh, you know that wasn't uh, that wasn't fun. Um, that was a uh, that was an you know an an interesting uh, um, an interesting culture shock. Um, but there were also there were also like a lot of really good culture shocks. Like uh, when I realized I didn't have to live in the center of the city to be able to like effectively commute because um, like you know the public transportation is just really good. Um, so yeah, that was a that that was a good culture shock. Um, and uh, uh, so yeah. Um, but no, I highly recommend uh, uh, if you get the chance to uh, to live abroad, even for just like a you know a short period of time, or study abroad or something like that. Uh, I didn't get to study abroad um, 
so uh uh so it was you know kind of completely completely new to me when I when I moved here but uh I, I think it's a really cool experience so if you're if you're thinking about it I I, I do recommend it just uh, just be prepared to apologize a lot our one of our last questions that we always like to ask is is there any advice you want to give to future academy students uh so something that uh, that I had in uh, both the academy and in college, as I kind of had this internal idea that, uh, you know, theater was kind of all I wanted to do because it was, you know, what I what I had studied until this point, um, and that kind of other types of live events were not as. Uh, were just not something that I was really open to at all. And I think that was the wrong mindset, to be honest. Um, so I would I would just really, you know, uh, encourage all the academy students to, you know, think about all of the amazing soft skills that the that the academy teaches us and, you know, how useful they are, you know, outside of theater in, you know, both a greater live events context, uh, because live events embodies so, so much more than, than than theater and all these other really cool and crazy and fun things. So don't, you know, try to limit yourself to that. Um, but also just, you know, everything that the Academy and theater, you know, teaches you about, about being in the world and, you know, don't underestimate the skills that you're, that you're getting here and how well they transfer to so many other things. Um, and yeah, uh, so I, I kind of had those blinders on and, uh, uh, and I, I wouldn't want anyone else to. So we do a little segment on here and it's a shameless, um, plug. So any social medias, tours, any shows, Anything at all that you want a little extra publis- bleh, words, publicity for, <laughs> go ahead and let everybody hear it. Uh, let's see. Extra, extra publicity for specific shows. Um, so, uh, I mean, if anybody's looking to, uh, to see the Justice World Tour when it resumes, um, we're currently on tour with Justin Bieber. So I would, uh, I would plug that. The drones are on, the drones are on Justin Bieber tour. Um, the drones are going to be opening a dance tour in Australia soon, um, which is going to be at touring, uh, touring around Australia with the Australasian Dance Collective. So I would plug that. Um, I'll quickly plug, uh, Royal Caribbean cruises. Um, if you're going on almost any of the Oasis class ships, um, you'll get to see some really cool drones in the, in the theaters, um, or, uh, Starlight Express in Bochum, Germany, um, which the show is entirely in German. So I'm not sure that any, any listeners would, uh, <laughs> Um, would 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 actually go, but uh, um, but there's also a really cool uh, a really cool moment there. That is all the time we have for questions today. But we loved getting to talk to you, and thank you for making the time to be with us today, Claire. And join us again in February when we talk to past Academy teachers Tom Fulton and Mitchell Fields. In this episode, we will be discussing the core idea of Academy, which is the power of your unique self. Also, please check out the zombie sign-up on the Academy social media and website for your chance to be in one of our films. Thank Thank you you for coming coming to our Tech Talks. Bye!
Bye. Bye.